And so we're going to look at this morning um, a passage of Scripture that maybe when we look at that 40 to 45 and we're looking at just this small uh, set of verses that maybe we've skipped over it. And, And maybe we just haven't really paused long enough to say, why did Mark include that? Okay, because when you go to the book of John, what does John tell us there towards the end of, uh, of his writings? He says, you know what? I suppose if all the books in the world were afforded to me, I couldn't have written everything that Jesus did, which means what? We really in the gospels just have a brief synopsis. It's just kind of a flyover. And sometimes we fail to realize that we think, oh, we've got everything. And what John was trying to say to us was, There were hundreds of healings. There were hundreds of things he did. We're just trying to boil it down to here's the essentials. And so when they include something, we need to pause and say, why? Why is that there? Because of all the stories they could have selected, they selected those. And so when we look at Mark chapter 1, verses 40 to 45, we're going to really go there, okay? And my goal here is that we walk the street with Jesus, that we see it from his perspective, that everything that is going on, it is almost like time stood still and we got to get transported back to it and walk through it with him. So listen to Mark chapter one, starting in verse 40. A man with leprosy came and knelt in front of Jesus, begging to be healed. If you are willing, you can heal me and make me clean, he said. Moved with compassion, Jesus reached out and touched him. I am willing, he said, be healed. Instantly, the leprosy disappeared and the man was healed. Then Jesus sent him on his way with a stern warning. Don't tell anyone about this. Instead, go to the priest, let him examine you. Take along the offering required in the law of Moses for those who have been healed of leprosy. This will be a public testimony that you have been cleansed. But the man went and spread the word proclaiming to everyone what had happened. As a result, large crowds soon surrounded Jesus and he couldn't publicly enter a town anywhere. He had to stay out in the secluded places, but people from everywhere kept coming to him. So let's kind of jump in here and understand what's going on and set this up. This guy has leprosy. Now, in our day and time, leprosy really isn't around anymore. We've learned how to treat that, make that go away. But in Jesus' day and time, leprosy was the one thing you certainly don't want. And so I'm going to explain the disease a little bit. The disease went like this. If you got leprosy, it began to show up on your skin, and later on it would begin to uh, infect the digits. So in other words, your fingers, your toes, to the point where your nervous system now then no longer felt certain things. So it would not feel heat. It would not feel pain. So if you stepped on something as a leper, if the disease had progressed, you wouldn't even know it. You could start bleeding out and someone else would have to tell you, hey, you could touch something hot and not even know that it was burning your skin except that you might smell it or others might point it out to you. Now, here's where it got even worse, that as it advanced, your nose would deteriorate and literally fall off of your body. Now, we don't know what stage that this guy is in, but it is clear to everyone he has leprosy. So there is an outward manifestation that everybody knows. Here's what you also had to do. Wherever you went as a leper, you would have to shout out, unclean, unclean, so that people would avoid you because they thought it was spread in that 
uh, form and fashion. This is just what they believed, but here was what made it worse. If you were a mom or dad, you would tell your kids goodbye forever. You had to leave your home, you had to leave your job, you'd leave your friends, and you would go to a leper colony, and that's where you would live. Here's what made it even more problematic and worse. It was common knowledge that the reason why you had leprosy is because you've committed some incredible sin, some secret sin, and God himself has cursed you with leprosy. Do you see why Mark wrote this about leprosy? This isn't just a guy that's got a little bit of psoriasis, okay? This isn't a guy that's got a little bit of a problem where, oh, you know, he's just got some chafing going on. That's not what's going on. When Mark describes this, everyone in the crowd knows leprosy is a fatal, it's a fatal disease, but even more so, you must have had some sort of secret sin. God himself hates you and is judging you for your sin. Now imagine, let's go back to the home again. If you're a son or a daughter and you hear that daddy has to leave or mommy has to leave and it's because he has leprosy, daddy has leprosy or mommy has leprosy. Do you hear what they're hearing? Mommy or daddy has such a great secret sin against God that they have to leave the house. When leprosy hit, it wasn't just a pronouncement of being unclean as being outward. It was, an all, it was also an inward judgment towards that person. So when this man starts wanting to be near Jesus, what would the crowd have done? Given him all the room in the world, right? They retreat. But what does Jesus do? It's remarkable because in the moment, he's shouting out, and this wouldn't have been a one-time, hey, I'm, a, you know, hey, I'm unclean, I'd like to be healed. It would have been repetitive. But what does Jesus do here? Because Jesus could have chosen to do many different things. We know that in Jesus' words, he can heal people. He doesn't have to do anything else. We know he doesn't even have to be present to heal them. How do we know that? Because the Roman centurion comes to Jesus and says, hey, you know what? I want this person at my house healed. And Jesus goes to go with him. He's like, no, 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 no. I'm a man in authority. And I know if I tell a guy to come here, he comes here. And if I tell him to go, he goes, your word will heal this person, my house, miles away. What does Jesus say? Wow, I've not found this kind of faith in all of Israel. Now, who did he say that to? A Roman Gentile guy. And he's looking around at all the Jews and saying, hey, guess what? He's got a greater faith than the rest of you. So we know that even in Jesus' spoken word, he can heal someone miles away. But what does Jesus do here? He doesn't spit on the man. We've seen some of those happen. Jesus spits on a person or he spits and makes dirt and then, he, and then he heals whatever that he goes about and does. But in this case, he does something absolutely shocking to everyone around him, including the disciples. And it says he reached out his hand and touched him. How big of a gasp do you think the crowd had at that moment? It would have been huge. So see, here's what Jesus does. With a heart of compassion, he reaches out and touches the man. When do you think the, the man was last meaningfully touched? 
Well, we don't know if it's weeks that he's had this or months or years, but whatever it is, it predates that moment when he was pronounced that he has leprosy. And Jesus moved with compassion, reaches out and touches his uncleanliness and touches him on purpose, touches him with compassion and he's healed. See, when you read about this, let me tell you where this comes from. Leviticus 13. Now, if some of you've been Christians for a while and you've done the, I'm going to, you know, read my Bible in a year kind of thing. And then you get to Leviticus and boy, does it come to a halt, right? Amen. Yes. I mean, Genesis, man, we got stories, right? We got Abraham, man. Things are happening. Exodus. Woo. Excitement. Miracles, plagues, Leviticus, what are you doing, God? I don't get it. You're talking about a snoozer. You're talking about a literal quiet time, right? <laughs> right? You get to Leviticus like I'm lost. But what does Jesus do here? He says, I'll tell you what, um, go back to the priest, show him, show him what's going on. See, because Leviticus 13 is how this guy got here. Leviticus 13 is, is if you think you have a skin disease, you go to the priest and then the priest is gonna do all these tests and then he's gonna tell you if you've got it and immediately you have to go to the leper colony. But Leviticus 14 is different. Listen to it here. Leviticus 14, here's what happens in verse two. The following instructions are for those seeking ceremonial purification from a skin disease. This is leprosy. Those who have been healed must be brought to the priest who will examine them at a place outside the camp. Notice, okay, got to keep them away. If the priest finds that someone has been healed of a serious skin disease, he will perform a purification ceremony using two live birds that are ceremonially clean, a stick of cedar, some scarlet yarn, and a hyssop branch. The priest will order that one bird be slaughtered over a clay pot with fresh water. He will take the live bird, the cedar stick, the scarlet yarn, and the hyssop branch and dip them into the blood of the bird that was slaughtered over the fresh water. The priest will then sprinkle the blood of the dead bird seven times on the person being purified of the skin disease. When the priest has purified the person, he will release the live bird in the open field to fly away. Say, well, wait a second, Alex, I don't get it. What is going on here? Here's what Jesus is doing. He tells the man, go back to the priest and tell him I've been healed and to do the ceremony. If you're one of the priests and someone shows up and says, do the ceremony, let me tell you what you would have probably heard. What ceremony? Man, I've been healed. The priests would have stood around and said, we know how to do Leviticus 13. We don't know how to do Leviticus 14. Does anybody know where we can get a hyssop branch? I don't even know what that is, but they got to find one. I don't know if that's readily available or not. No clue. They got to get some scarlet. They got to get all this other stuff. What is going on? Here's what Jesus is doing. He is busting through the law. You may read it and go, well, no, he's taking us back to the law. Why did he do that? We're supposed to be free in Christ. We're not supposed to be going back to the law because here's what Jesus is showing. The law can diagnose, but it has no remedy. The law tells them they're unclean, right? They got sin, they got all this other stuff, but they can't heal. Leviticus 14 is not being practiced. 
It's, it's not what it is. But Jesus, because of his love for the priests, you know what he's saying to them? Messiah is here. The one you've prayed about, the one you've wanted to come is here. Why? Because they've always practiced Leviticus 13, but they've never been able to turn the page to practice Leviticus 14 unless God moves and the Messiah is there. But what do we know about those kinds of people? Those are the kinds of people who hated Jesus, right? It's the priests, it's the Pharisees, it's the Sadducees. They wanted nothing to do with Jesus. They wanted him gone except for a couple. There were a few who were like, no, I think Jesus is a good dude. Who do we know? John 3, Nicodemus. He comes to Jesus at night. John's very specific. Why does he come to Jesus at night? Because Nicodemus doesn't want you to see him. He doesn't want you to know. And he comes and he goes, man, I don't get all this stuff. I don't get it. And out of a skeptic's question, John 3, 16 is birthed. Most famous verse probably in the Bible, known worldwide as kind of the verse, comes out of a skeptic's question. Then there was another guy, Joseph of Arimathea. He was one of those guys too, but he kind of liked Jesus. He kind of liked what he had to say. And it is those two guys who take Jesus' body off the cross, but no one else shows up. No one else helps out. So for 98%, of the religious community from priests to Pharisees to Sadducees, they want Jesus gone. They are a part of making sure he goes away. But I love this. In Jesus' love and compassion for the leper, he still sends the leper back with the good news to the priest and say, I know you're going to hate me. <laughs> I know that some of you are going to put me on the cross, but I still love you enough to say, Messiah is here. Messiah's here. But what does this man do? He does the exact opposite of what he's supposed to do. Does the exact opposite. What does Scripture say that he does? He doesn't go back to them first. He he will eventually go there. But what does he do? He starts telling everybody, look, I, I met this guy, Jesus. He healed me. Look, you know me. You know what I was like, but look at where I'm at. Look at who I am now. You know what's going on here? And it's so interesting to me, and I fall into this trap. Here is a man in which Jesus says, don't tell the story right now, right? But we translate that in the wrong way, that that's who we are. We kind of go, oh, I really, I don't know about sharing my faith, and I'm not so sure about that. What, you know, I got to be careful No, that was for that guy. When we go to the end, when Jesus is resurrected, what does he say? You will be my witnesses. There is no, well, I'll kind of hold it back. We kind of live out that leper's command of, hey, don't tell anybody. And we go, oh yeah, that's my command right there. That's my guy. No, that was for him. Now, why did Jesus say that? You ever look at that and go, what's that all about? I don't understand. Why would Jesus tell that guy, don't say anything? I mean, it's kind of obvious, isn't he going to say something? I mean, if you had leprosy and you knew your life was over and yet you get to go back to your family, no longer do you have the stigma that you've done some sort of secret sin, aren't you going to tell a bunch of people? I am. To me, I look at it and go, Jesus, what are you doing? Of course he's going to tell people. 
This is like an impossible task to say, don't tell people. But Jesus is trying to get him to the priests. He's not trying to get him to be quiet. He's trying to say to him, go to the priests. Go there. I need them to know that Messiah is here. Messiah has come. But instead, Jesus has to do something now. Did you catch what it was? He has to now go to the secluded places. Jesus really didn't want to have to do that yet. And Scripture tells us from that point in time, we're in Mark 1, Mark 1. From that point in time forward, Jesus always had to go to the secluded places. Let me give you the picture here from Leviticus 14. Here's what's going on. They take this pot of nice water, right? They're taking the hyssop branch and the scarlet, and they're taking the two dead or the two birds. And when they take the birds, they're both alive, right? They're, they're good to go. And here's what the priest has to do with his hands. He has to squeeze the life out of one bird and allow the blood of it to drip on the live bird. And then he takes that dead bird, sets it aside, and what does he do with the live bird? He lets it go free. Now, when the bird begins to flap its wings, it's got the water on it, right? It's got all of those things, but it also has the blood of the dead bird. What is this a picture of? It is the picture that something must die in order for the rest of us to live. It is the picture, and this is what Jesus is trying to say to the priest. Messiah is here. Something will die so that something will live, and you will carry my blood on you wherever you go. What is he saying? One bird's going to die. The other one's going to live in complete freedom. That's you and me. That's us. And he sang this to the priest. He sang it to the leper. But here's what Jesus ultimately has to do. He now has to go out to the secluded places. While what does the leper do? Go anywhere where he wants to go. Do whatever he wants to do. Say whatever he wants to say. The leper is in complete freedom. Whereas before, where was he? Out in the secluded places. Do you see how Jesus took our place? This is what he did. But we're to mirror how he went to the secluded places. But here's what we typically do. We are tempted as Christians to stay in the comfortable places. We like that. I'll be honest with you. I like that too. I like being comfortable. I don't like being uncomfortable. When we were planting churches in uh, Cleveland, Ohio, the first church that we started and... um, it was me, Sherry, and the dog. That's all we had. I realized, well, hey, man, if, I'm, if we're going to start this church in downtown, I got to get to know downtown people. And how do you get to know down people, downtown people? You go to things that they go to. And there was a place right in the uh, entry level of our apartment complex. It was a huge apartment complex where there were several storefronts. So I'd go hang at the coffee house and whatever that they had down there. But they also had a hair salon. Now, I'll be honest with you. My hair is worth about five bucks, okay? Some of you don't, don't amen that. That's not, see, you can't do an inappropriate amen, okay? Don't do it at the wrong time. I'm worth about, I, that's the way I view hair is I need five bucks to do this. That's all that should be required. But there was a salon down there. And if you want to get to know a community, where do you go? You go to the salon because what happens there? Lots of chatter. So I go down there. Girl's name was Danielle. 
she looks at my hair and she goes, oh, you have fantastic hair. And I'm like, yeah, you're saying that because you know what you're about to get out of me. But, as, you, know, eh, you know, I smile. She goes, oh, I want to do this with your hair. I'm like, whatever. So we're sitting there and talking. And, and I said, well, you know, have you always done this? Do you do hobbies? Whatever else? She goes, oh, yeah, you know. Um, she goes, this is my, you know, my full-time gig. And I was like, okay. And she goes, but I've really gotten into painting. I was like, oh, I'd love to hear about that. She goes, yeah. She goes, a couple years ago, I just started painting and everything. I said, oh, wow, what are you painting? And she goes, I do nudes. And I'm trying to process this, okay? I'm sitting there processing this, and I'm going, well, Jesus in seminary, they didn't give us the response to I paint nudes. And then I thought, well, with the hairdryer stuff going and things happen, it's downtown, maybe I heard that incorrectly. And so she could kind of tell with the look on my face and I'm sitting there thinking, I don't know what to do with that. And I said, I'm sorry, what did you say? I said, I couldn't hear you. And she goes, I paint nudes. And I went, oh, wow. I mean, what do you say there, right? (laughs) I mean, there isn't much you can say. Thankfully, she goes, and what do you do? But that's also an unthankful, all right? And I say, I'm starting a church down here. And she said, what did you say? So it's, a, it's the exact opposite, right? And I said, I'm starting a church down here. And she goes, what? I said, I'm starting a church. She goes, oh. She goes, I don't do religion. And it was God's Holy Spirit that immediately, that I said, oh, I don't do religion either. That stuff will kill you. And she had briefly said something to someone, and she goes, what did you just say? You're a pastor. You can't say that. I said, oh. I said, you know what killed Jesus? Religion. It'll do it every time. She goes, I've never heard this before. And our relationship continued where she did, started attending the church and talking to me about those things. You know what? Sometimes we can view those people as kind of the leper of society, like they got a problem. No, I have a problem. I have sin, right? I'm the leper who needed the bird, in this case, Jesus killed and raised to life so that I'm not there anymore. But then I need to go tell other lepers, hey, listen, we found the Savior. We found who he is. His blood is what makes us clean. We're just like you. We're not different. We're just like you. We need a Savior. You need a Savior. See, we've got great news to share. And you know what Jesus was trying to tell that leper and and send him as the messenger? trying to tell them there's good news here. There's fantastic news here. For you and for me, the real question comes down to this. How dirty are we really willing to get? But we usually view it wrong. We think, oh man, we're really reaching out to the lepers. I'm like, no, dude, I'm a leper. I'm just telling other lepers I've found Jesus. I'm not any better than them. When I was in Arkansas, the first youth, full-time youth pastorate that I had, uh, we were out in the middle of nowhere, which is most of Arkansas, by the way. In case you wondered, am I out in the middle of nowhere in Arkansas? Yes, the answer is yes, okay? <laughs> the, the answer is always yes. Um, but I was there, and um, w- w- as I was about to think about coming on staff there, um, some people come to me and said, hey, now, you just need to know, um, you know, it's a sweet group and everything else, but 
about 85% of their parents, you know, homeschool. So I don't know that they're going to be interested in reaching out to the community and blah, blah, blah. And I, you know, I heard them and I understand that, 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 that can happen. I came from a public school background, so it was different, but I did feel like the Lord was calling me there. And so I went and a pastor came to me and said, Hey, I just want to know, um, how do we reach the kids of the community? What, what do we do? And so I came back to him in a couple of weeks and we were praying together about it. And I said, you know, I want a really high energy worship service thing on Friday nights from like 1030 to midnight. And let's do that. And I said, we'll have some fun and game stuff in there, but it's really going to be a worship service. We're going to really draw them in. And he goes, well, how do we do that? I was like, I don't know. Um, we were a church still on a septic. They were on a septic system. Okay. That's how far out we were. All right. I said, I don't know. I said, we don't have the people to do it. We don't have the people to lead it. I mean, I can speak at it, I guess, but we don't have the high energy people that bring the energy, um, the musicians and stuff like that. So we just began praying. And over time, God, has sent, God sent us some people. And it's actually really quick that he sent us some people. And what happened was we were nervous. We didn't know what was going to happen. I didn't know if the homeschool kids would be like, yuck, I don't want to do this. Or the parents would be like, yuck, I don't want to do this. Man, what, who are we bringing in here? But they really got on board. Now, it was only 15 youth. So 12 of the 15 were homeschooled. The other three were trying to pass class, I think. I don't know what, what their deal was. But, and, but they really got on board with, no, we want to reach this community. We want to reach this community. We don't know how, but we want to reach this community. I remember the first Friday night coming, man, we're all nervous. And it hadn't been a good week leading up to it. Nothing to try to promote was really working. And I remember sitting in my car in a grocery store parking lot. And I didn't have to go in there and get anything. I remember sitting there crying out to God and saying, Lord, if you love these kids, you're going to have to bring them because nothing we've done this week <laughs> is going to draw any teenagers in. And I remember just crying out to him going, Lord, I don't know what to do, but we felt like this on your heart. That first Friday night, we had 75 kids come. Now that was pretty amazing, but we're sitting there going, yeah, but that's the first night. Now that they know what it is, your second Friday night tells you more than your first Friday night. And it started taking off where we did it every Friday night. And there was times where our Friday night services to reach teenagers was larger than our entire Sunday morning service from children all the way through adults. Now, let me tell you a hidden thing behind that. I usually don't tell a bunch of people this part of it, and I'm not going to tell you who it is. Um, one of the worship guys that came to help us out in the middle of nowhere when we were just crying out to God saying, hey, help us, help us, help us. I think he's now won three Grammys. He's well on his way to many more. I'm not going to tell you who it is. But that was God. We didn't pray for a person to win the Grammy. That, that was never on our radar. We don't care anything about that. But what it told you was is this. What did God send that community? The very best. The very best. See, when we follow Jesus, guess where we have to go? The secluded places. Because that's where Jesus was. That's where we're called to be. The reason my wife and I uh, serve the fourth and fifth graders and starting that thing and stuff like that. It's not because I sit there and I go, man, I am jazzed about fourth and fifth graders, you know. I like them. I don't know that I want to hang out with them all the time. 
But I do like them because here's what I know. I don't know the rest about high schools and sizes around here. I've got a vague guess, but in the middle school that I know my oldest son, our oldest son will attend next year, there's 1,100 students in it. Right over here in Republic. There's 1486 in the high school. And you know what I sit there and I think about every single day? Who's reaching that? Who's going after that? I'm not just saying Republic. I'm just saying that's one example around here. And I sit there and I go, man, there's got to be an impactful church. There's got to be an impactful group. And the only way, the only way that happens, only way, you have to be willing to go to the secluded places. I'm a firm believer. I've told my churches this before. They can quote this too. If you go up to Cleveland and ask them, hey, is this true? Oh, yeah, we hear it. We heard it all the time. I would say to them all the time as an adult, you build me a barn, I can worship in that if the kids will have all the great things. As long as it has heat and air and toilets, okay? We, we do need those two things. Otherwise, I don't need all that other stuff. I, I, I just don't need it. I'm already a believer. I'm growing. I I know how to do that stuff. I know how to find a small group. I know how to start growing. But man, you put some money towards kids, God gets excited. You put some attention towards youth ministry, God gets excited. And it's not to say adults aren't important. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is, is this, but that's the hard group to reach. See, that's the hard group to know, what do I do here? And you know what God calls us to every single time? You heard it this morning, from comfortability to uncomfortability. You got two going to Nebraska. They've already been to Africa, okay? It's uncomfortable. It is. It's tough. But here's what I'll tell you you'll find. You'll always, always find Jesus and experience him in the secluded places. That's where he's always at. Already in Mark chapter 1, where has he had to go? (laughs) He's out there. You know what? For you and for me, we need to understand Jesus swapped places with us. Didn't he? He is the live bird, or we're the live bird. He's the one that was crushed for us. And then he goes, here's total freedom. So that wherever you and I go, what are we doing every single time we flap the wings? The blood of Christ is going out. That's our role. That's who we're called to be and do. But the only way that's going to happen is to understand we're all lepers. Every single one of us. And we have fantastic news. We have news to share with people to say, this is what Jesus has done. But sometimes we kind of hear Jesus' words in that story of, now don't tell anybody about this, and we think, oh, that's for me. (laughs) No, we're living in the post-resurrection time where he wants us. He's already told us, this is what you're to be about. And the real question that comes back, I think, to all of us to grapple with is, is this. Do we really realize that we're a leper? Do we really realize that the only way to reach other lepers is to go to them, to go to the secluded places, to say, hey, there's this Jesus guy, and he died for us. 
and I'm one of them. And I'm just here to tell you, I was once a leper. I was once there. I was just like you. But now then, you don't have to be there anymore. Your sin is not counted towards you. There is freedom. And that's the beauty of following Jesus. Let's bow for prayer this morning. Lord Jesus, I am so grateful that you took my place. Lord Jesus, I am so grateful that you took our place. Jesus, may we never forget we were the ones who had the secret sin held against us. We were the ones that were the outcast. We were the ones who had no hope. And yet you were moved by compassion. You reached out. You touched us. You brought us in and you showed us that your blood purchased our salvation. It made us clean. It made us whole so that we could then go back out and share the fantastic news of you. Lord Jesus, forgive us when our mouths are silent, when they should say, hey, I've got great news. Lord Jesus, help us get past the nervous anxiety of, well, if I tell my friend, what will they think? Lord, that we would be humble, but excited to share, hey, this is what Jesus did for me. My sin is no longer held against me. I am free, and it's because God crushed him and put his blood on me so that I could fly away free just like that bird. Jesus, I thank you that you came to fulfill the law. That while the law gave us the diagnosis, you are the remedy. And Jesus, that we would see others the way you saw this leper and were willing to go to the secluded places to win those and also to win us. We pray all this in your name.